Well, good morning. It is good to be gathered here with you this morning. Um, if, you're, if you're visiting, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we're, we're glad you're here with us to worship with us. Um, this is a maybe a little bit different morning, so if this is your first time, like this is maybe not quite normal. Like this is spring break week, right? So everyone with any shred of sanity has fled uh, to go to Florida right, or wherever else warm. Right? So we're, that includes like all the people who normally lead us in worship. Um, and so this morning we're going to play a few songs that we recorded kind of during when things, everything was shut down. Right? We're going to play those songs. We're going to worship together through those songs. Um, and then I will come back up here and we will, um, I'll, I'll preach. Right? So we're going to sing one song, I'll come back up, I'll pray for us, give us a few announcements, we'll do two more songs, and then we will do the sermon. So that's kind of the plan for this morning. But we're, we're glad you're here with us, and we, even without a live worship team, like we can still worship our God together. So let's, let's worship Him now.
You may be seated. Again, if you just came in and you are new or visiting, we're glad you're here. Our, everyone who leads us in worship is kind of gone this week, and so we're playing video from the past, but we're still able to worship Him, and we're thankful for that. If you are new or visiting here, um, if you'll notice in the, the seat back in front of you, there's a, a Connect card, a card that says Connect on it. Just a way for us to get to know a little information about you. If there's anything you'd like to know about the church, anything you want to communicate to the church, there's a way you can do that. You can fill that out. You can drop it in the offering um, boxes on the back wall on your way out this morning. We'd love to just be able to connect with you, get to know you a little bit better. As we kind of continue this morning, um, just right, song and singing is not the only way that we, we worship Another way that we worship is through our, our giving, right, through our tithes and our offerings. And so if you want to participate in worship that way this morning, right, by contributing to what we do here at through like Evangelical Free Church, you can place your offerings in the boxes on the back wall on your way out, or you can give online at tlefc.org slash give. And again, that's not a way, like we're not trying to guilt you into that. We don't expect you're offering, especially if you're new or visiting, right? but it is a way for us to give back to God what He has so graciously given to us. A couple of announcements to kind of bring to your attention. The so one, this being spring break week, um, many of our families are out of town, they're traveling, and so there is no Sunday school after the service this morning, which there typically is. And along with that, we will not have cross-training in here either. So after the service, we can go downstairs. We're going to help yourself the coffee and treats down there. But there are no other, no Sunday school, no cross-training following the service this morning because of spring break. So coming up on Sunday, April 3rd, come a couple of Sundays here, we'll have our next quarterly meeting, congregational meeting. And so if you are a, a member here, just want to hear more about kind of the church and what um, the church is, has going on, we would invite you to be a part of that following Sunday School and Cross Training on um, April 3rd. Another way we can, can worship and together as God's people in the place is through prayer. And I, there, certainly there are many things worth praying for. Um, would you join me now as we enter this time of praying to our Father? Father God, we thank you, we praise you for this chance to come together this morning. To be people who you have called to yourself, who you have called together in this place at this time. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, to enjoy one another's fellowship, to hear your word. God, we just sang you, your grace is enough. You are so gracious, so good to us. Even in providing this place, 
for us to come together and to fix our minds and our heart on you for this period of time. God, would that take place here this morning? Would our, would our minds be focused? Would our hearts be attuned to what you would have us learn from your word, what you would have us know about you? Would we, would we sing and worship you out of a overflow of our heart? Would our heart just be amazed <clears throat> by what a great God you are, what a great Savior Jesus is? Father, even as we're, we're thankful for this chance to gather here, I want to pray too for those who can't be at their normal place of worship this Sunday morning. There are people in our own church family who are going through sicknesses and hardship. We pray that you would be with those who are dealing with medical issues and other issues. That you would be with doctors, give them wisdom and the ability to care for the sick well. That you bring healing to those who need it. You bring comfort and strength to those who need it. And above all, that you would be glorified even in the midst of trials and hardship that people in our church family are going through now. Let's all think of Christians throughout the world who aren't able to gather and worship this morning because of persecution, because of hardship. I think especially of Christians in Ukraine who, if they are gathering, are gathering in a time of danger and peril and certainly fear. We pray that you would be with them. We pray that you'd be with just the entire situation in Ukraine. We pray that you would work in mighty ways, that you would use the hardship and the trial and the tragedy of war to somehow in your infinite wisdom bring about your good purposes and your glory. We don't understand how that could all work, but we trust in your goodness, even in the midst of those trials. Father, as we continue to sing this morning, would you move in our heart? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you conform us more and more into the image of your Son through this experience of worship? Praise on Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand once again and we will sing a few more songs.
But God, you are holy. You are the Lord Almighty. Those truths resonate in our heart and would we we just sang adore you. That be the the cry of our heart this morning, that we would just be standing awe and adoration of you and your goodness and your grace and your mercy to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. kind of give you a little picture of what lies ahead, kind of sermon-wise, in the next couple of weeks. Like We've been in the book of Luke now for the last eight weeks, and that's part of a larger series, but we've been going through the book of Luke for over a year now, taking breaks here and there. And now, we have four weeks until Easter, so for the next four weeks, we're going to take a little, another one of our breaks from the book of Luke, and do some sermons that are more focused on Easter and the events leading up to and surrounding Easter. Right? So that kind of the plan moving forward. We'll take a break from Luke for the next four weeks, and then we will come back to Luke following Easter. So for whatever reason, I've always just been kind of wired and inclined to be very much a rule follower, like, to the point that like the thought of like going through the Ten items are left. Express checkout with like eleven items, like and they break me, make me break out in like sweats, right? Like I just, like, who would do that? Like, I like I, I just been a rule follower. Right? If you can imagine, like my my consternation, like one day I was sitting in my middle school. I don't remember what grade exactly, but I was in middle school, and like a couple of my acquaintances, we won't call them friends acquaintances, start talking about how like, the night before they had like, snuck into a movie at the local theater. Right? And, like, for me, in that moment, at the 11, 12, whatever year old, like, that was like the height of criminal behavior. <laughs> like, who would dare sneak into a movie? Like, the thought of me doing it was like, terrifying. Like, I would never be able to do it. Right? But that was, like, that was the height of criminal behavior. Right? So, Imagine my surprise later in life when I found out that like, sneaking into movies is not the most audacious thing people do. Right? In fact, there's like a whole movement of people who, just for the thrill of it, sneak into all kinds of exclusive events. Right? Like, there's people sneaking into the Oscars and to celebrity parties and to the Super Bowl, like, just for the thrill. <clears throat> And, like, the audacity of those people is mind-boggling to me. Like, I can't imagine who would try to break into the Super Bowl or sneak in, right? Like, we lived in Minneapolis when Minneapolis hosted the Super Bowl. And I remember hearing a news report then that the city of Minneapolis spent $5 million just on security for the Super Bowl. In Los Angeles this past year, there were 13 federal and 10 local law enforcement agencies all involved in the security of the Super Bowl. There were literally thousands of officers involved. There were those on the ground around the stadium. There were officers in helicopters above the stadium. There were officers in boats along the coast leading up to the stadium. 
There were even fighter jets on standby. Who would dare try to sneak into that event? But people do. There's one guy who, he like, took his phone or a phone, an iPhone, that was like linked to his account. He dropped it, kind of snuck it in somebody's bag. And then that person walked to their seat, and then he used his phone and the Find My feature on his phone to tell the security guard, look, look, my phone is in the stadium. Like, this is my friend's phone. My friend's phone's in the stadium, and my ticket is on my phone, so I can't show you my ticket. And eventually, like, like he talked it confidently enough, and it got him into the stadium. In his book, Ticketless, there's a guy named Trevor Krauss who he details his adventures sneaking into 22 different exclusive events, including another Super Bowl. And it's like, frankly, stunning and a little bit concerning how easy some of these break-ins or sneak-ins were. Like it turns out, in many cases, like the only his only key for success is like have a story. And like tell that story with confidence and conviction. At one point he says, when dealing with stadium personnel, never entertain any suggestion that your story is questionable. Always express shock if there is resistance. And like by and large, it worked. Like he got into hockey games and baseball games and the Super Bowl and concerts, like just by having a story and talking his way in more often than not. And if you can like, sneak into a Super Bowl right, with the kind of security that a Super Bowl has around it, right, then it seems like there might be like, almost nowhere that a person could sneak into. But today's passage in Luke shows that, that there is one place that you can't sneak into, right, and that is the kingdom of heaven. Right? There's no way in unless you have your spot reserved for you ahead of time. Right? No amount of planning will allow you to sneak in. No, no amount of sweet talking will allow you to talk your way past stadium personnel. Right? Unless you've met the criteria for admission, you are not getting in to the kingdom of heaven. As we pick up in Luke this morning, Jesus had just finished talking about the kingdom. Right? We looked at those passages last week. He compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard tree and a ball of dough right? for the way that they, the kingdom grows and it expands and it seems to grow at this rapid rate. And to all this talk about how fast the kingdom grows, how big the kingdom will become, leads to the question, right? well, does the kingdom grow that fast because everyone gets in? And that's kind of the question that we see in our passage this morning. We're in Luke chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 22. I invite you to turn there in the Bible if you have one. Everyone in the seat in front of you if you need it. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen. The Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. We read this. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because 
because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are There are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this entire scene, this entire interaction is prompted by one question. Someone comes to Jesus and he asks the question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And the common understanding among the Jewish people in those times is that anyone who was Jewish, anyone who was descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would be saved by God. And like Jesus' message up to this point has been kind of contradictory to that. Jesus has gone around saying things like, unless you repent, you will perish. And things like, I have not come to bring peace, but division. And Jesus is constantly saying, like, woe to you Pharisees. And that word woe is a word of condemnation. It's a word of a statement of God's judgment against a person. And Jesus is saying woe to the Pharisees. The people who, like most Jews, consider the most holy and righteous people around. So if anyone deserved God's blessing and saving, it's it's them. But Jesus is walking around condemning them. So that kind of makes it sound to the Jewish ear like, like, well, no one's getting into the kingdom of heaven. But then Jesus is also walking around talking about how the kingdom is going to grow rapidly. Which makes it sound like lots of people are going to get into the kingdom of heaven. Or maybe even everyone will be saved. So it's all kind of confusing to this man. And he asked the question. Basically asked, like, so, like, 
is everyone getting saved or not? Like, what's the deal? And you can almost hear the follow-up question, even though it's not here. But the follow-up question is, and if it's not everyone, then who is being saved? Who will be saved? And Jesus answers this question, or he answers the question of, like, is everyone being saved or not? He says this, he says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. We'll come back at the end of the sermon and talk about what Jesus means by make every effort to enter by the narrow door. But before we get to that, like, we need to take a few moments to take seriously what Jesus says in the second half of that verse. He says this, Many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And many will long to get into the kingdom. Many will long to get into heaven and will not be able to. That's not a super popular sentiment in our day. Like many people in our culture, even people who call themselves Christians, are like the Jews in Jesus' day. Assuming that everyone will be saved. According to a a Pew Research study, 39% of Americans, including 45% of American Christians, believe that people who have no belief in God can go to heaven. And you can sell a lot of books and become quite popular if you tell everyone that everyone can be saved. That everyone will be saved. But Jesus here is saying, like, that's not the case. Not everyone gets into the kingdom of heaven. Like, I know that's not warm and fuzzy and heartwarming and feel good, but that's what Jesus says. Only some people will be admitted. What we see ultimately in this passage, kind of broad picture, this admission to the kingdom of God is based solely on a personal relationship with Jesus. If you've grown up in church, you've been coming to church for a long time, that may seem pretty obvious. You may know that. But what we see throughout this passage is that people in Jesus' day were prone to think it was based on, on other things. And I don't think we're much different. Even if we don't think everyone will be allowed into heaven, there's a tendency in our human hearts to think that there are things that we can do to get into the kingdom of God through other means than a personal relationship with Jesus. So I want to do this morning. I want to start by looking at some of the things that Jesus says won't get you admitted to the kingdom of God. And then come back at the end and talk about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the first thing we see that won't get you automatic admission into the kingdom of heaven is this. Your heritage will not get you in automatically to the kingdom of God. As I said a minute ago, like most Jews in Jesus' day thought they were good, they were saved simply by the fact that they were Jewish. Like even those who hadn't lived particularly devout lives, they were banking on the fact that 
when it came time for their eternal destiny to be decided, they would be saved based on the fact that they were descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, to go back to the, the Super Bowl example from, from the beginning, right? this is like, like walking up into the, in the ticket line, like walking up to the entrance without a ticket, right? but you like, tell a security guard, like, look, like, I don't have a ticket. Like, but my but my grandpa, he's in there, and he's he's kind of a big deal, right? and, and like in fact he helped build the stadium, so like you better let me in or it might be problem for you, right? Like, like my grandpa did that, so you better let me in. But Jesus says like it doesn't work that way when it comes to the kingdom of God. In verse twenty eight, he says. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves, he's talking to Jews, you yourselves are thrown out. He says, yes, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be there. But just because they're there does not mean that you will get in just because you're descended from them. In fact, quite the opposite of the truth. He says in verse 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And in this context, people from the east and west and north and south are like Gentile from the countries surrounding Israel. So not only do all Jews not get in, or not not all Jews get in, some do, let's be clear about that, but also non-Jews do get in. Admission to the kingdom of God is not based on where you are from or who you're descended from. That's the big takeaway here. That's pretty countercultural to what the normal thinking is in Jesus' time. But what does this mean for us? Probably, I'm assuming, no one here in this room watching online, like no one's banking on their Jewish heritage to get them into heaven. But we can kind of be prone to do the same thing with our American heritage sometimes. It's becoming maybe less and less true by the day. But for a long time, right, to be an American meant to swim in a, in a kind of broad cultural Christianity. And recently, in 1990, 85% of Americans identified themselves as Christian. Which made it kind of easy to assume and conflate that to be an American was to be a Christian. And that just by swimming in the cultural waters of America, like, that would be enough to get you in to heaven. Or maybe like at some point, because you grew up in this culture, at some point in the past, like you went to church. Or maybe you were a Church member, maybe you went through confirmation or first communion. Maybe you had a Sunday school teacher when you were little who told you about Jesus and prayed with you that Jesus would come into your heart. And since that time, like maybe you haven't really been living any kind of in any kind of obedience to Jesus, but you're still kind of relying on that past experience. 
whether it's confirmation or first communion or church attendance or praying some prayer. Like you're relying on that path experience to get you into heaven, even though your life since then is showing no signs that you believe in Jesus. But Jesus said, that's not how this works. Like your entrance into the kingdom is not based on where you were born or the culture you grew up in or who your family is or even path acknowledgement of Jesus. Jesus said to those people who are standing outside the door and knocking and pleading to get in, I don't know you. And the implication of that statement, I don't know you, the implication is that the only thing that matters when it comes to getting into the kingdom is does Jesus know you? I want to be a little, little careful I want to talk about like path acknowledgments of Jesus not being the way into heaven. The Bible is clear that people who genuinely place their faith in Jesus cannot then lose their status as members of the kingdom of heaven. In Romans, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons neither the present, nor the future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once we're united to Christ by genuine faith, nothing can separate from the love of God. Genuine faith means that you are saved from your sins and you cannot then lose that salvation. But what I am saying is that there have been times when, when Christian culture has pressured young kids into praying some prayer about Jesus without them really knowing what they're saying. Maybe they do it just to make mom or dad happy. Maybe they do it to make a Sunday school teacher happy. Maybe they do it because all their friends are doing it. But they don't really know what they're praying but nevertheless, they used the fact that they prayed that prayer when they were five or six or whatever years old as their ground for confidence that they will get into heaven. Even though the rest of their life right, shows no evidence of faith. And to be clear, like, I believe it's entirely possible for five or six or seven-year-olds to have genuine, true trust in Jesus. All I'm saying is that like, if you're using your past acknowledgement of Jesus as the ground of your confidence for your salvation, right, but the rest of your life is showing no evidence of faith, right, like, maybe you shouldn't put so much trust in those past experiences. The admission to the kingdom is not based on any aspect of our heritage. Right? It's not based on any past experience. Admission to the kingdom is also not based, the second thing we see in this passage, on your social circle. In verse 26, right, the people who are standing outside the door knocking, they say this to Jesus. They say, we ate and we drank with you. Right? That's their reason for why they should be let in the door. They say, we ate and we drank with you. They're saying, like, look, look we, we came from the same... Social circle. We ran in the same crowds. Like you have to let us in. 
It's just a little like if the ticket taker at the Super Bowl is like some guy you went to high school with. Right? Like not like you were friends with him or anything, but like you kind of knew who he was. And so you, you walk up to the ticket booth and you're like, hey, Tony, like, long time no see. Like, like look, look, Tony, like, I don't have a ticket, but like, we went to high school together. Like, you let me in, right? Like, like I know like, we didn't really hang out in high school. Maybe I kind of mean to you a time or two, but like, we, we knew each other. Like, we were in the same circle. So like, you're going to let me in, right? I mean, Tony, whoever Tony is, would have none of that. And Jesus having none of that either. Because I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Just because you ate and drank with Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus knows you. And for us, throughout the New Testament, the church is called the, the body of Christ. So like spending time with people who make up the church isn't something like spending time with Jesus. So like we can sometimes become involved in the church. We can sometimes treat being involved in the church as knowing Jesus. Like having our, our primary social circle be people who make up the church or people from the church is not a replacement for knowing Jesus. Right? Just being friends with churchgoers is not the same thing as having Jesus know you. Similarly, like being actively involved in the church, right? volunteering, being present at church events, showing up on Sunday mornings. Like, those are all great things. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you come to events. But please hear me. Right? Being here right now is not the same thing as knowing Jesus or having Jesus know you. Being here, being involved in church events, in and of themselves, will not get you into the kingdom of God. Spending time in fellowship with, with Christians can be a great blessing. But spending time with Christians is not the same thing as knowing Jesus himself. Likewise, like a lot of times, the people we kind of hang around with, people we spend time with often influence how we behave. So if you do spend a lot of time around Christians, then that may form your behavior, mold your behavior so that your behavior looks fairly righteous. But again, righteous looking behavior is not the same thing as knowing Jesus himself. If you're here this morning, now, like, the reason you think you're going to get into heaven is that you come to church, that you spend time with other Christians, because you're less sinful than people around you. The passage is clear. Like, none of those things by themselves will get you into heaven. It's more than that. And on a later note, the third thing we see in this passage that won't get you into the kingdom of God is knowledge about God. In our passage this morning, 
If the people stand outside the closed door, they knock. Right? Their, their argument, their next argument for why Jesus should let them in is this. They say, like, you taught in our streets. The implication being, like, we heard your teaching. We know what you had to say. We know all about what you are saying about God. We know what you taught. We know the things you teach us about God. But Jesus again says to those people, I don't know you. Again, going back to the Super Bowl example, this is like, if you, there's owner, like if you know all about like the one of the owners of one of the teams that playing, right? Like you know that the owner of the whatever team is was born January fourteenth, nineteen forty two, and he weighs one hundred eighty two pounds, and he's worth seven point five billion trillion gazillion dollars, and whatever else. Like you know all that information, and you walk up to the ticket taker and you say, like, look, I know all about this guy. You should let me in. It's not going to do you any good. Now, if you actually know him, like if he's actually your personal friend, like, yeah, that will probably get you in if you ask the favor ahead of time. But knowing about one of the owners won't do you any good. And the key distinction we see here in this passage is like, a distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. Like J.I. Packer's whole book, Knowing God, is one big exploration of this distinction. How the, the whole book is worth the read. I'd highly encourage you to read it, but here's just one piece of what he says in that book. He said this, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about Him. To focus this point further, let me say two things. First, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of Him. I am sure that many of us have never really grasped this. We find in ourselves a deep interest in theology. We read books of theological exposition and apologetics. We dip into Christian history and study the Christian creed. We learn to find our way around in the scriptures. Others appreciate our interest in these things. And we find ourselves asked to give our opinion in public on this or that Christian question. To lead study groups, to give paper, to write articles. And generally to accept responsibility, informal if not formal, for acting as teachers and arbiters of orthodoxy in our own Christian circle. Our friends tell us how much they value our contribution. And this spurred us to further explorations of God's truth so that we may be equal to the demands made upon us. All very fine. Yet interest in theology and knowledge about God and the capacity to think clearly and think and talk well on Christian themes is not at all the same as knowing Him. We may know God as much as... We may know as much about God as Kelvin knew. Indeed, if we study his work diligently, sooner or later we shall. And yet, all the time, we may hardly know God at all. You can know an awful lot about God without knowing God. Like you won't believe the amount of like, biblical scholarship that is done at 
universities by people who don't believe in God whatsoever. Like, they know the Bible far better than I do in many cases. And yet they don't know, not, they don't know God at all. And that knowledge of the Bible, like what it teaches about God, right, is not ground for admission to the kingdom. If you're here and you, you know lots of biblical information, maybe you take pride in, in being the person who people turn to for spiritual guidance, like all that's great. But it is utterly without value if you don't personally know Jesus. Like nothing else matters. Like your history doesn't matter. Your social circles don't matter. Your knowledge about God doesn't matter. Like all that matters is does Jesus know you? And Jesus gives us an example, kind of a, an illustration of all these things later in this passage. In verse 34, he's talking about the city of Jerusalem, and he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathered her chick under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. If the, if the residents of any one place could rely on their, their past, on their, their heritage, on their past experiences to make sure that they were right with God, to be the people of Jerusalem. If they had seen God do incredible things. God had built His temple there. God had dwelt in His temple in Jerusalem. Surely that would be, should be enough for generation after generation after generation of people to skate by and be good with God. But Jesus says, your house is left desolate. God has left the temple not long from when Jesus said this, it'll be torn down by the Romans. No past experiences, no past anything matter unless there's obedience and faith in God. What ultimately matters is not any of those things. All that matters is whether Jesus knows you. In verse 27, Jesus says, I don't know you or where you come from. Like, away from me, all you evildoers. Right? And the implication of that is like, Jesus is sending them away because he doesn't know them, which means that he welcomes those that he does know. This idea of being known by Jesus and knowing Jesus ourselves is kind of carried out throughout the New Testament, especially John writes about it a lot. And John says this. First he says, My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus knows those who are, will have eternal life. 
When Jesus knows them, no one will snatch them out of His hand. When you're truly known by Jesus, then it's true that you cannot lose your way. And later John said this, this is eternal life. That you know, that you know the only true God and Christ Jesus whom you have sent. To have eternal life is to be known by Jesus and to know Him in return. That's how we get into heaven. That's how we are admitted to the kingdom of heaven. And the question then becomes, how? What does it look like? How do we have a personal relationship with Jesus? On the very first verse we read this morning, Luke said, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And all throughout this book, Luke has been reminding us that Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem, a journey that will ultimately end in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he will be arrested, he will be tried, he will be condemned to die on a cross. Even though he never sinned, never did anything wrong, he will die on that cross. As we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, then that because he died on that cross, if we put our faith and trust in him, if we repent of our sins and turn and believe in him, our sins are forgiven. If we repent of our sins, we believe in Jesus, then on that cross, Jesus, God treats us as if we live the perfect, sinless life that Jesus lived. He treats Jesus on that cross as if He lived, He sinned all our sins. He lived the sinful life we all lived. When we repent, when we believe in Jesus, when we trust that He died on the cross for our sins, then He knows us and we know Him. And that's how we're admitted into heaven. By being known by Jesus and knowing Him in return. So if you're, you're here, you're watching online, you've never repented, you've never believed in Jesus, you've never trusted in that, then I would encourage you to do that. If nothing else gets you in. Nothing else leads to eternal life. Nothing else means you spend eternity in the kingdom of God, in the new heavens and the new earth. Only that faith in Jesus. If you're here right, and you have already trusted Jesus, been trusted Jesus for a long time, two things to take from this. First, like, invite you to examine yourself. Right? Make sure you haven't kind of been trusting something that's close to Jesus, but not quite Jesus. Now you're not trusting your, your good behavior or your Bible knowledge instead of Jesus. Examine that you truly know Jesus, that He knows you. The second thing, for those of us who are here, who do know Jesus, who have been known by Him, the thing to take from this, it's just like, 
adoration, and wonder. Jesus says, like the door is narrow. Jesus tells us about those who are on the outside knocking, and yet, not because of anything we did, not because of anything good in us, we get to walk through that narrow door. What Jesus did for us on the cross, we get to enter the kingdom through that narrow door. We don't deserve it, You're not in because you were good enough. But because Jesus died for you, God revealed him to you. Like, can we still take that for granted? Pat ourselves on the back for all the good things we've done. But we, it's all grace. Let's just be amazed. Those of us who know Jesus, that we get to walk through that narrow door. Let's pray. Father God, Truly, it is amazing that we've had the opportunity to be known by Jesus and to know Him. You've revealed Yourself to us through sending Your Son to earth. That You have revealed Yourself to us through Your Word. That You have worked all through history to communicate Your good news to people down generation after generation so that one day through various circumstances the good news of what Jesus did reached our ears. You you softened our hearts that we would believe that truth. God, that is so amazing. That would we leave here amazed by your grace. And even though there's nothing in us that warrants inclusion in the kingdom, you have made a way for us through Jesus and you have invited us in through the narrow door. And would the knowledge of what you've done for us, would it motivate us, would it fuel us to point the way into the kingdom to others? We would reach out to those around us who aren't known by Jesus who don't know Jesus themselves. Would we we tell them the great thing that Jesus has done 
We invite them through the narrow door. God, would you work in our lives? Would you work through our interactions with those around us to draw people to yourself? To draw people to a knowledge of your Son? So that they may be saved and that you may be glorified. Pray so in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, in case you missed it earlier, that there's no, no Sunday school after the service today because of spring break. There's no cross-training afterward, but there is coffee and treats downstairs. We invite you to go take part in and spend time together down there. And we will yeah, look forward to being back to a more normal week next week. But as you go from here, would you go just amazed by the graciousness of God as He reveals Himself in His Word? You are dismissed.